for someone starting out, I would say look around you. Like, don't feel like you have to have, like, the best gear or be in the best place, whatever that is, wherever that is, because you can make work anywhere. And a lot of times, like, what is directly, say, in your backyard probably isn't being photographed. Hey, everyone. My name is Michael Howard, and welcome to the Musea Podcast. My name is John Tully. I live in New Hampshire, and I photograph kind of whatever is around me, kind of whatever that means, sort of daily life to assignment work, but I prefer sort of the daily life peripheries and sidelines of daily life. I love the, uh, your sideline comment there. I think that's very, very telling in your work. So I had not thought of that word when looking at your work, but it like kind of nails it. If I could put it into one word the sidelines I like that first off just tell me a little bit about your history like how you got started in photography take me back to when you just first got into it so it was I started in photography back when I guess I was a freshman in high school and you know I grew up moving around a lot my dad was in the marines so we moved about every three years and so I was in high school in Virginia just outside of DC and Life at that time for me was basically running around in the woods and skateboarding and, you know, like just being a freshman in high school. I wouldn't say it's typical. It's different for everybody. But for me in suburbia, right outside D.C., there's sort of a lot of freedom, I guess. And like my mom was always into photography and taking pictures of the family when the family was together. And so I'm not sure if that sort of pushed me towards photography, but Growing up, I mm-hmm. read National Geographic all the time. And I thought the ideal life, you know, before life takes over was to live in a canopy, you know, in Australia or the rainforest in Brazil. Like that was ideal. So I kind of immersed myself in that, in like strange lands and faraway places. And I could get that through reading things like National Geographic. And I'm not sure, like, sort of fast forward from when I was, like, in elementary school riding my bike to the library to buy a geographic magazine for a quarter because they were getting rid of old issues. Fast forward that to freshman year of high school in my English class, we had an assignment to basically follow someone at their profession. And I can't quite recall how it kind of came about, but at some point along the way during those years, I realized that, like, okay, this name keeps popping up. So this person was in, like you know, wherever, Brazil, photographing in a rainforest. And then this person was in Africa, and then this person was in the U.S. And then, so, like, it was the same person, and what sort of that control was, I guess, was the person and all the variables were all the crazy places, but also photography. You know, like, this guy was in these locations taking pictures all over the world. So this is sort of long-winded, but I guess, like, somehow that entered my thought process And so, yes, freshman year English class, we had an assignment to follow someone at their profession. And so I decided I'll find a photographer. So I contacted a local newspaper. I contacted the larger metro paper. And then I contacted Geographic because they're based in D.C. And Geographic got back to me and basically said, like, sure, if you want to go to California, that's, you know, the closest place. But it, you know, it was like it wasn't very realistic. (laughs) I think they were like very kind. But also saying, like, yeah. no way, kid. But um, right. I think it was Ken Koberstein at the time who wrote me this really nice email. 
and I think I may still have it. You know, I printed it off, I highlighted everything, and it was basically, you know, I'm sure you got these emails all the time from like punk kids like me. And it was more or less like how to be a geographic photographer, but like not in that like very like sort of predictable way. It was basically like how to just be a photographer or like here are some tips, you know. So it was like this email mm-hmm. of advice. So yeah, I got denied from that, which whatever. And then the Metro said something about insurance reasons. It couldn't happen. But the local, yeah, so but the local newspaper, a place called Potomac News, and this guy, Dave Ellis, who I'm still, like, great friends with, I consider him sort of part of my family, like, bigger brother kind of aspect, and he was a mentor, but um, he basically said, yeah, come on in, you know, when do you need to do it? And so that sort of long roundabout answer, that sort of is how I got started. And that first day, I went in. I had my mom's Pentex camera. I followed a photographer named Pete Sahelka, and we're still in touch with him today. And actually, both Dave and Pete work at a newspaper called The Freelance Star down in Fredericksburg, Virginia. But yeah, they invited me in. I followed Pete around. I think we went and chased after like bald eagles and took a photo <laughs> of like an abandoned building for like a photo mug, you know. And I was like, "This is so cool!" And it wasn't, <laughs> but right. it really, you know, it was sort of like eye opening. It was like. I was pretty free as a kid, but this was sort of like another level of freedom, I guess. Yeah. It sounds like you're attracted to the explorer aspect. I mean, absolutely. Like I was fortunate in growing up that I was let go. Like, you know, all right, I'm I'm going out. I'll be home at like eight or well, it sounds like I called the shots, but my parents would be like, you know, (laughs) come back at eight, like be home at 10, check in, you know, and and I would just go out with friends. And what that meant was getting into trouble, skateboarding, going swimming, finding rivers, going through the woods, exploring. I mean, it was just like being outside and it's fortunate. Like, I guess I would be on the top end of that millennial spectrum, but I was born in 1985, but I wasn't inundated with like technology. So I feel pretty fortunate Mm -hmm. about that and kind of when I grew up and that sort of instilled this sense of adventure and exploration, I guess. Mm Mm-hmm. And then from there, like post high school, do you, you go to college for it or how did you? What'd yeah, you do so that? Dave invited me back and he was the director of photography and I didn't really know what that meant. I remember like that first day sitting in the dark room and he's going over what a camera is and exposure and aperture and, and shutter speed and ISO and all these things. And, you know, I was just like deer in a headlights, just kind of nodding because I didn't want this guy to think I was an idiot. But I was like zoned out to the point where I felt like I was going to fall asleep. Because like I just like, couldn't <laughs> process what he was telling me, which I think he probably knew. But yeah, so he invited me back, and it started by getting dropped off, sometimes after school, if my parents were around and able to do that. I was about 14 at the time. And then it became, Dave would pick me up on his way to shooting high school football on Friday nights. And so that just sort of evolved, and I was very curious and had questions, and I have no idea how he and the staff had like so much patience because I probably just drove them insane. But yeah, they just kept inviting me back. And that evolved into going and photographing like a building mug or something, you know, Mm -hmm. something that I could handle. And then that evolved into being the photographer on weekends and then freelancing. And then all of a sudden, like put on the schedule when I had my license. And so while all this is happening, like I played sports in high school, but I kind of quit sports 
a lot of my friends are going to the beach and doing all this stuff in summers and I had a good time. But for the most part, I was like just focused on going and working at the paper, working every day, just trying to get better and immerse myself in that. And I didn't really know at the time, sort of like we look at photographers and have this idea of like, oh, this is their style or this is their vision or this is what they have to say. And at the time, I had no concept of that. And Mm -hmm. I had no concept of that while I was thinking about going into college and what I was going to do and pursue this career. And so, yeah, I applied to a couple of schools and got into University of Missouri and then decided that like, this is like journalism. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to grow and learn more in that aspect. And so all that freshman assignment evolved into working at the paper, evolved into deciding that like I wanted to make a life out of this. And at the time, it was around 2003 when I graduated high school it still seemed possible, more or less, like there were these papers that had internships that were these like sought after internships for like a decade before, right? So it seemed sort of shaky, but still there's like a level of stability. And then I graduated Mm -hmm. college in 2008, right around the time when everything was not doing so great. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot's changed right in that window. So how did you survive after 2008? Like how you've been making it the last I don't 10 know. Years. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> sort of like living in this like denial, but also like exciting time, but also frustrating. So it's a crazy amount of emotions, I guess. And a lot of it is actually very distracting from actually just getting out and doing work, right? It's like talk is cheap, mm-hmm. like just do work. And that I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get to the complexities of that statement later, but So 2008, like during college, I was doing internships, right? Like that was coming from the suburbs, graduating high school, like having a sort of level of privilege where I could go to an out-of-state school and study what I wanted to study. Like at the time, I just thought, oh, this is normal. This is a normal thing for everybody. You know, everyone gets to do this, which is obviously not the case. But so I was very much plugged into that streamline of like go to college, do internships, graduate college, get a job get another job, move up the ladder, you have a career. And so that was sort of like part of my world. But also photography opened me up to a very different part of the world, which is way more important. So yeah, so during college, did internships, graduated, did an internship in DC, and then went to, fortunate to have a staff job in Midland, Michigan at the Midland Daily News. And then from there, I was there about two years and then went to the Concord Monitor in New Hampshire and was there about four years. And so are you freelance now? Yeah, freelance now, kind of, like I accept freelance assignments, but I don't actively pursue them. So when I was in Concord, for one reason or another, I got laid off and was also kind of tired of like the environment and the sort of the toxic nature of working at a newspaper. And so I was looking Mm -hmm. to do other things. And so my girlfriend, Libby March, who's also a photographer, we're living together at the time or living in the same town. And we decided to move to the Outer Banks. And so we started making pizza and basically thought that would sort of launch our, like a freelance career of sorts. Got down there. I got assignment the first day we were there and, you know, everything seemed pretty great. And then that was it. No assignments, no calls, nothing like that. And I think that was sort of a wake up call. Like you have to market yourself. You have to put yourself out there. And I didn't do that because I had the privilege to work at a newspaper where I didn't have to do that. And so when freelance assignments would come in, 
I could kind of just wait until it came in. And I thought that's how it worked, you know, like, oh, people want to work with you. So they'll, you know, you can just sit back and they'll knock on your door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of like the beginning of like the wake up call of like sort of what it takes, I guess, but also like sort of like the different world that I hadn't operated in. Right. And so um, I had Mm -hmm. to figure out how to make it work and how to survive on my own. And so that was making pizza that was looking for another job that was working at a weird marketing firm for like nine months because I wanted to learn marketing and also just needed a job. And that was one of the outer banks. It's pretty seasonal. So I needed something a little bit more stable at the time. And then that sort of introduced me to like this idea of like, I didn't need the validation of a publication corporation editor. I didn't need validation basically to pick up my camera and walk outside and kind of pursue my interests which sort of got lost yeah. in the fog, I guess, with everything else. Yeah. Definitely easy to happen nowadays because you have to wear so many hats, you know, marketing yeah. hat, website builder hat, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah. It's a lot now, you know, social media manager. Right, right. Yeah. You want to yeah. say. Accountant, bookkeeper, like you have to do it yeah. all, right? And so mm-hmm. sort of coming from a background in a place that you didn't have to do it all, right? Like you could just be a photographer or you could just be an accountant or, you know, we just listed off like, I don't know, seven jobs, right? And now you have to do it all and people don't want to pay for it. So it's definitely a challenge and I'm not really, I guess I haven't chosen to dive fully into that challenge. So I can't really speak fully on that challenge, if that makes any sense. I haven't put myself out there in terms of like meetings and marketing and promos and I was really turned off to all that because in my mind, it was talking about here I am on a podcast talking about myself, but it was, <laughs> you know, it was, it was talking <laughs> about myself. Like I didn't want to put myself out there like that. I didn't want to have a Snapchat personality. I don't want to have a YouTube channel and that's fine. I'm not passing judgment. It's just not who I am. And so it's like, I really had to figure out how to make something work that would fit in with sort of my personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, part of the purpose of this podcast for me is, you know, talking to a wide variety of photographers because there's so many genres out there now and really just figuring out how people are living a photographic life, you know, that could be, you know, where you actually have the ability to make money from it and it pays all your bills to, you know, people that they don't make any money from it. It's just something they do. It's like their personal art but it's not like, you know, a quote unquote, like financial career Mm -hmm. for them, but they're still engaged in the act of living some sort of a photographic life in one way or another. So it's always interesting to me just to pull back the veil a little bit, because I think a lot of people, they're lost in the woods like everybody. (laughs) So hearing other people, how they've cobbled together their life, you know, I think it helps people not feel like they're so alone in a way, because it can be isolated. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And then, you know, you can break it up into... I don't know if you call it genres or, you know, I don't want to classify, like put anyone in a box, but you know, it's like the newspaper world is a very sort of insulated world and it has its Mm -hmm. pros and cons. And when you're in that world and it's working out for you, things are great. When you're out of that world, all of a sudden, like the people you knew, you don't know them anymore. You know, it's just life. It's you sort of like bounce around to these social circles and align yourself with common interests and whatnot. But when you sort of base your life off of something like this, like it's more personal, I guess you can't just leave it behind. And so I think that for me, that was leaving the newspaper world 
so to speak, was sort of losing part of an identity that I had formed and kind of yeah. for a while struggling to figure out like what I was going to do, how I was going to still do it, knowing these battles like, okay, I could apply for another job, but like this paper just laid off half their staff. Why would I want to work there? So it's definitely yeah. challenging being a photographer regardless of the way in which you go about doing it. But I think it's still important to pursue and try to pursue it. We're going to take a quick break from the podcast, and there's two things you can do to help support the podcast. At the Musea Lab, we offer archival matting, printing, and framing, and anybody that uses us for those services indirectly helps support the podcast. So we use some of the funds that we get in from helping other photographers with their printing needs, framing needs, matting needs, and some of that money goes into helping produce this podcast. So one way to support us is just to use us as your lab, and that will help support the podcast. Another way is we have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash musea. We have the Musea archive up there. I will eventually be taking all of the old episodes off of iTunes and putting them all on there. So anybody that supports us there will have access to that. I also just put a course I did for prepping your files for quality printing. It's a two-hour course. It's all video. I put that up on the Patreon page. So anybody that has access to the Patreon page can view that. For as little as $5 a month, you can help us. And all that money from the Patreon page, 100% of that goes directly into helping produce the podcast. If we can get a little more support there, then we can start producing this weekly. Or hopefully as the lab grows, we can also move to a weekly production schedule just to help cover costs and things like that. So either way, you can help support this through the lab or at patreon.com slash musea. We will eventually be doing some exclusive things for all of our Patreon supporters as that grows and gets going a little bit more. So thank you so much for everybody that's jumped on early and has supported this. We are so excited for the rest of this year and 2018. If you are going to be at Imaging in Nashville, Musea will have a booth there. We would love to see you come by and say hi and check out what we do. All right, back to the show. I didn't have this question listed down, but I was just going to get your thoughts on just the state of documentary photography right now, I guess in relation to what you would say, quote unquote, I guess, news photography, newspaper photography. Is that something that you are hopeful for the direction that it's headed? You know, just any sort of photography that deals with media and breaking news, that kind of thing. Or do you feel like uh, we're headed into like a darker place? I guess it's, I don't know if it's good or bad, right? I think it's always just evolved. And I think evolution and progression is good. I think we need to be conscious Mm -hmm. of some things like how we're doing what has traditionally been documentary photography. Like I think being conscious of ethics is sort of like the thing, right? If there's anything left, mm-hmm. it's sort of that. But then even that is like brought into question about like whose ethics and who established these standards. And I think there is sort mm-hmm. of like a common, like don't manipulate a scene, don't stage anything. I think that's sort of common, but again, common to who, right? It's common to sort of this insulated bubble of people that sort of, I wouldn't say regurgitate, it has kind of negative connotations, but sort of 
I guess regurgitate like the same thing, right? And so if we're all just talking within this bubble, like, well, then people on the outside who's like this work is made for, right? Like we're not there making documentary work for other photographers. And so mm. I think it's important to open up that channel and explain what that work is to other people that aren't photographers. And I think sort of like in this roundabout way, things like say Instagram or just like the sort of a double standard, right? The access to Instagram and all this information is like hopefully bringing out a little bit more of this like understanding or people are like paying more attention to it and like being exposed to it basically. But then Mm -hmm. again with that, it's like you have not barriers to entry. So the market is saturated. I mean, we're seeing it with like all this like fake news and people don't believe pictures and people don't believe the things that they see anymore. So it's like, is that a result of things like Instagram and this sort of free-for-all. I don't know if that really answers your question. It does. I just, I've interviewed a couple other documentary photographers and I just think we're in a weird, you know, kind of an interesting time right now. There's not as many gatekeepers anymore and everybody's producing their own channels. And so, yeah, it's, I think it's, you know, what narratives are being told and there's really no controlling factor. Yeah, and I mean the gatekeepers. So who were those? Like historically, was it like say a newspaper in a community, you know, and they established Mm -hmm. credibility and whatnot? But like now, like it's really hard for a newspaper to argue that they have credibility when they're laying off half their staff, and then turn around and say that they're doing it for the benefit of the community. Like that just doesn't make sense. And so you have to start questioning sort of everything about that. And this is super newspaper centric. Like that's sort of my background and what I think about. Yeah, yeah so it's a newspaper. They lay off their staff, then they go and hire a bunch of interns. They lay off their staff, and then they hire, like, these new eager kids right out of college that, like, you know, institutional knowledge. They may have been studying this for a while, but, like, then they're sort of dropped into this community where they don't know, like, the people. They don't know their neighbors yet. I mean, it's not to say that they won't eventually, but... And I think that all plays back into like the kind of work that's being produced, the kind of work that newspapers are dictating these days. And so I don't really think they're the gatekeepers anymore like they were in the past. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that is sort of playing in this like background like identity crisis that we're all having in this like fake news environment. It'd be interesting to see in like 20 years. Yeah. This uh, conversation, I just uh, on a personal note, so this past weekend, I saw Blade Runner 2049. I haven't. I don't know if you've seen that. How was it? <laughs> it's kind of a random. Oh, it's <laughs> amazing. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But for me, it's like a film, like a serious film, like a very artistic, um, makes you think, very smart film. But there's a line in there from one of the characters. It's kind of stuck with me after seeing it. And it's, you know, paraphrasing is something about like, we're all looking for something real is kind of this phrase. And so it's understanding the context of the movie and when that was said and why, but also just looking at like our environment today. I don't know. I just, I keep finding like that. It was a very true statement, but a lot of stuff feels fake yeah. today. You know, skepticism is an all time high. Right. <laughs> and I think we're all just looking for something authentic in a lot of ways, not hashtag <laughs> authentic, but like, like actually real. <laughs> a <picture of> <laughs> perfectly centered and triangular shape with a mountain <laughs> in the background. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot yeah. but like what is that like whose truth is that and whose reality mm-hmm. is that and personally that's sort of where I'm finding myself these days and so like 
photography started out and it was you know when i started out it was a lot of very like this influence of like the decisive moment right like you work at a newspaper well you're sort of told and encouraged like get all the the moments and get everything in one frame you know that was like mm. what we strive to do but now i'm thinking like why was that just one frame you know was that actually important or was that because there's limited space in the newspaper and so that's like guided basically by like these standards that were set and these expectations and sort of rules were guided by some sort of like monetary reason or space right and i think maybe it's a combination of both maybe one is affected another but like yeah i guess along the lines of what you're saying it's like we're all just trying to yeah figure it out but i'm not really into that idea of like the decisive moment you know like this is the one defining picture of our time or this is the one defining thing it's like Again, it's like defining for who and having that sort of also limits the conversation and the ability for people to enter the conversation. And yeah, it doesn't really take a broader look at things as far as photography goes. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to dive into your work a little bit. We'll go through some things and that will, I'm sure, springboard off into other things. (laughs) So we'll start off with your back roads and backyards portfolio. You kind of have sub portfolios within that, but... Is all that personal work for you? Is that how much of that is assignment work? Just kind of give me an overview of what that is. Yeah, for you. so backyards and back roads. I mean, that's sort of like came about. This wasn't like a, this is what I'm going to do and then I'm going to create this work. This was sort of a result of like getting to a place where I wanted to like look at the work I'd done and figure out like if there were common threads. Just, I guess, look back, see if I should continue to do this. So, you know, I was kind of like looking for some like, spark i guess and so Mm -hmm. i think part of it is also like i was trying to figure out what i had to say as a photographer and by looking back at all this work i kind of realized that like i found myself in like small towns or photographing people in their backyard or driving a lot on back roads and found myself more in like rural areas I don't know why I've been drawn to like sort of the small town mentality. Cause what is that? But like, I think it's sort of that, like we said in the beginning, these like peripheries and these sidelines and the things that aren't really like being photographed and like almost the mundane. Right. I think that for me, it's an anti anti decisive moment, if you will. Like, so what mm-hmm. are we seeing the pictures that we see that maybe make the front page or the work that's out there, it's like a lot of it is very impactful and meaningful and purposeful. And yeah, there's energy to it. And so I guess I just wanted to focus more on like the everyday daily life. I don't know. I'm having a yeah. hard time like sort of articulating this because again, like finding holes in that statement, like the everyday daily life, but for who, right? And so a mm. lot of my pictures in here are like, they're pretty like, I wouldn't say glossed over, but you know, it's kind of just there i guess it's not about struggle it's not about yeah it's every day every day from what i have seen the last couple of years and that work has been pulled out from assignments but mainly like a lot of these pictures wouldn't run in a say a newspaper or like people aren't interested in it so a lot of it just kind of came from digging through and what i responded to yeah so it's going through some of those so like your hometown landscapes you have a paragraph of text at the bottom just talking about the kind of the return migrant. I don't know what a return migrant is, so I was trying to 
have you extrapolated right. a little bit? So I think part of this work, like at least hometown landscapes, is like this sort of idea, like me looking at in maybe a roundabout way, like finding myself in these. So Midland, where I worked, was a small town. Concord was like, I mean, it's the state capital, but like it was kind of, I always found myself wanting to kind of be in like a city like DC or New York or LA or somewhere, you know, and, but I'd always mm-hmm. thought I would be traveling the world and going all over the place, different countries living out of a backpack. But I always ended up finding myself in these like small towns. And I think part of that in the last couple of years, like, and now I'm living up north in New Hampshire place that i love but it's also it's pretty rural right and there's no reason for there to be much assignment work up here and so it's sort of grappling with that and then also like diving into all of that and trying to figure out like hey like i love this place where i live i love littleton and to an extent i like concord and same with midland like there are aspects that i enjoyed but like especially i guess you could say even after this past election right so we're seeing rural areas losing. I mean, it's it's pretty common narrative, right? Like kids grow up in an area, they go to high school, they get into college, they move out, and then they go. And, and where do they go? They typically go to like a city. But there's a lot of mm. things like, say, Littleton, New Hampshire. Like there's so much that this place has to offer, but why are people leaving? And what is this like mm. importance that like all of a sudden like this, I don't know if it's a trend, but like, like, what is it that people are leaving? Like, I guess this sort of is like photography slash life. Like, I'm here in this small community. And it's like, if you want something to happen, like, you have to make it happen. Versus, like, if you go to a city, like, it's a lot harder to make something happen. But it's a lot easier to just jump into a pipeline of things that are already happening, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the totally. migrants, like, it's basically about these people that are in a small town, leaving a small town. But hey, there's like so much going on in this place that you're leaving. Just stay and work on it. Like stay and build something. Like there's value here. It's important, I guess. And mm-hmm. I don't have the yeah. text right in front of me, but as far as the return migration, so that was pulled up from, I think it was a Department of Agriculture. And basically it's this idea of like people moving away and coming back. Like some people are coming back, but I guess for the most part, like people are moving away and they aren't coming back. And so, like, the challenge is, I guess, behind that for, say, a small town. So I think, I guess I'm still trying to figure out, like, what this work is in a lot of ways. And, again, like, not trying to, like, define it, but just kind of mm. where I've found myself in what I've responded to and what sort of could make up the daily life of where you are and where you live. It doesn't have to be yeah. a city. It doesn't have to be, like, the best thing, the biggest thing. And I don't know. Maybe I'm still in denial. Like, <laughs> And, and based <laughs> off of like where I am but I don't know I, I think it's like a way of just sort of saying uh, like it's okay where you are because like I've at least for me I've always wanted to be somewhere else mm, yeah, that's good a couple of pictures that jump out at me you have a lot of themes going on but some of them have this kind of odd thing of like what's going on <laughs> like what's that that doesn't make sense more juxtaposition so like the two it looks like army guys and they're one guy's playing pool in the backyard and there's snow on the ground. Like, why is that pool table outside? Yeah. Stuff like that. It yeah, it was funny. weird. I mean, that's, I, I was driving around and these guys just got back from being deployed. I think they were in Afghanistan, part of a National Guard unit based out of Concord. And working at a newspaper is sort of the 
ability to go off and like find photographs and find work and find stories, right? That is working at a newspaper. That's what your job is. But also sort of the downside of working at a newspaper is like lack of planning. And so you're out feature hunting is what they call it. So we would do a lot of that, which is basically just sort of driving around. And in the ideal world, you have contacts, you have stories in mind, you have places you can go and check in with. But sometimes life doesn't work out like that. And so this was driving around. I was actually working that day for a newspaper in Concord. And that was actually kind of one of my favorite parts of the job was just this. I would find myself just getting lost and I was getting paid to get lost and <laughs> stopping at different scenes. And so like I was just driving by and saw one of these guys, I think was emptying a bag out of their car or something. And I can't remember if I saw the pool table or what, but it was more like I saw the fence and this guy, there was someone outside doing something. And so always kind of had this rule that, and I got it from, if it came out of school or friends or whatnot, but it's like, if you do a double take, you stop, you know, if you're looking Mm. twice because something's interesting, well, it's because it's interesting and it's worth stopping. And like for me, as photographers, we're stopping and trying to like figure out what the story was or, you know, take a picture or whatnot. So this is one of the situations where I did a double take, drove around the block, pulled over, and they just got back and they were hanging out. They're friends. They weren't going to see each other for a while. And it's sort of like, oh, there's a pool table. Oh, they're playing pool and there's snow. Like, what? Like, this is magical. I'm glad I stopped. Like, this is why you stop when you see things, you know? But uh, mm-hmm. I think pulling back from that, it also really fit into at the time I was really, I didn't really kind of know it, I guess, but that idea of like the backyards and back roads and this idea that there are stories and there are pictures everywhere, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. people know that. I just think it's not always as like sexy, I guess, to just kind of stay around maybe where your house is and where your home is. And I think that kind of gets back into what you asked me about the migrants. And it's basically like people kind of need especially rural communities, like they need people that go to college, but then come back, you know, they need people to come back and build these jobs and generate this population and really build up. Cause otherwise, you know, we all just sort of, that's part of the migration. I think that we're seeing is like a lot of people are not doing that, but there are a handful of people coming back and building. And so I think there is hope in that regard. And so mm-hmm. I think some of this work, like I'm trying to tap into that a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you have a sense of humor of things. You have a mix of uh, juxtaposition or like things you find odd, but then you also just, I think some of the things that are just hilarious yeah. to me, like the guys in the parade and the Corvettes that are mini, uh, yeah. mini Corvettes. It's yeah. like Shriners. <laughs> and there are like the guys the groundbreaking and they have oversized yeah. spoons and a knife and a fork. <laughs> like the Muslim, it looks like a Muslim mosque type setting and there's like bullseyes yeah. <laughs> on the background like yeah. target practice of some sort it's like what is going on yeah i mean some of those i think there is some hilarity but then there's also some like sort of like subtle do people talk about their work like this like <laughs> you know it's sort of yeah. subtle like these guys like there's no mosque like i think new hampshire's just now building a mosque and so in concord like these guys would pray their service would be at this community center which also doubled as like a place for kids to learn archery and so i think this is sort of a product of like looking back through and also sort of trying to like 
kind of hint at like a social commentary about like Mm -hmm. what the climate of things today and the fact that they don't have a place to pray you know and that's like just no no it's just like common sense you would think in this day and age but it's not yeah that specific one's very interesting because i think somebody has a certain view of muslims or political slant could look at that photo and be like oh that makes sense like Muslims are bad. They're probably going to do target practice after they pray today. Like, you know, like somebody could interpret it a very extreme yeah. versus like, that's just the place that's like a YMCA center. Yeah. or something. I didn't, yeah, <laughs> I didn't even think about it like that. I think it makes it successful for that because there's a tension and the viewer has to. I think it. that's like kind of what I'm trying to get at. And like with some of this, it's like that, not trying to have it this defined thing, this decisive moment, this definitive, trying to have Mm. something coherent that makes sense, but more of like getting to that by like a feeling or like trying to emote something through like the full body of work. And so, and I think that's like pretty new, like to me, as far as like just focusing on like a body of work now over a long period of time rather than Mm. single pictures that have impact. Yeah, no, I think I was going to skip over a little bit to your coverage of the campaign from 2016, because I think how you shoot the back roads, backyards thing, and then your politics thing is a very similar approach. And I like that you, you know, titled this one portfolio, The Fringes, which we're kind of referring back to that sideline comment you made at the beginning I guess my interest in this as we continue talking about your work is what did you learn, I guess? What have you learned about American politics and everything through covering the past two presidential election yeah. campaigns? Because it feels like there's a you're kind of pulling back the veil a little bit and kind of showing us the show, the inner workings of the show versus what we see I on TV. I got turned on to, I would say, this aspect of looking at politics and like the primaries in this way because of where I was working in Concord and who came before me, who the staff was. And so it was like this editor, Dan Habib, and he had just this staff of photographers. I'm trying to remember everyone. Lori Duff, Preston Ganaway, Ken Williams, and then I think that was it. And then they had interns. But basically, like, they would photograph in this way. that It was like the I think they called it like the primary circus or they had a blog or, or something. And, and like, I remember seeing that, I think I was in college and that was like, they're photographing these like politicians, but in these off moments. So I think that's where mm. I started, like when I was working there, sort of that tradition continued because, you know, it's a small paper. You have media from across the country, across the world coming in to New Hampshire and for like that week or two weeks, it's like the spotlight, right? Like after Iowa, then it's New Hampshire and everyone comes here and floods in. And so I think it was a way that the paper under Dan Habib had like kind of put themselves on the map and also stood out from the rest of the crowd. But what I got out of that was that there's more to it and also sort of the absurdity of politics and campaigning and the need to look sort of beyond that like pretty lighting and like everything that like the campaign wants you to see and the way they want you to see it and how they want you to as a person like consume that message that they're getting across so i guess like Mm -hmm. what i learned from all this was that i'm very cynical (laughs) when it comes to like (laughs) that 
I think everyone's kind of full of shit. And I think they have a staff that perpetuates that. I also think it's necessary, not as a politician, but in a way that you're delivering a message, right? It has to be kind of consistent or so we're told. So yeah, I guess Mm -hmm. it was like kind of, I don't know, kind of like a middle finger to all of that and trying to see it and show it in a different way. And I don't know if it's successful or not, but, and I don't think it's unique. You know, I think there's people that do it and have been doing it, but I think that's important. I think that's more important than photographing a guy at a podium or photographing like kind of the way in which we typically consume and see work of politicians or in sort of that political coliseum. Yeah. Typically you're getting that one view straight onto the stage, maybe at a slight angle, but it's still highlighting the show that they've lit. And so it's what we see a lot of times you're not breaking from what they're intended the only time you see it a break from that is sometimes a photographer will post like an unflattering image of mm-hmm. a candidate, but it's still within the lighting that they've yeah. prepped. Where here you're pushing beyond that. You're going to like, you know, behind the scenes before they go out, after it's over, taking the banners down and like the trash that's left. The image of the guy throwing the Ted Cruz sign away, I chuckle at. I think it's kind yeah. of hilarious. <laughs> and again, it's like all still pictures of the same person. Right. And Mm -hmm. we have this infatuation with this one person that isn't Mm -hmm. more important than the rest of us, isn't more important than the other person sitting watching this guy deliver a message. Like, that is definitely playing a different role, but it's sort of like we all like turn these people into sort of icons when you just photograph that. And that's not the whole story. Mm -hmm. And that shouldn't be the whole story. And I think there's also, is it My America, the book, Christopher Morris? I don't know why I'm blanking on. The name, but like that work inspired me tremendously. Like, and it was sort of a wake up call of like, here's how like it can be photographed. Here's like an alternative to kind of what we're seeing. And so I'd rather sort of be a part of like showing a different aspect than podium stuff with the same guy saying the same thing in this different place. Yeah, there's like a bank of 30 photographers all clicking away, <laughs> all taking the same yeah, photo. Yeah, which is not so much on them, right? It's like they're doing yeah. a job and, and there is oh, a totally. need for that. And yeah, but there's also just a need to look kind of beyond the obvious. And I think like the successful photographers out there covering this stuff day in and day out, like they're seeing things differently every day, or at least they're showing it to us differently. And that's like such a amazing feat i guess and some of these photographers mm-hmm. out of like dc or you know they're following the president around or 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 on this like campaign trail from like start to finish so yeah. this is just yeah. how i kind of saw it and approached it i love it cool as we kind of wrap up here one of the things i kind of often ask is uh, if you were approached by a photographer that wanted to get into some documentary work whether that's photojournalism or fine art documentary or whatever, and they're, you know, 18, (laughs) I fell in love with it. You know, what would maybe be like one main point of career advice you would give them, kind of considering where we're at now in 2017? Buy a nice pair of running shoes and run away. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, don't formulate an opinion and try not to have an ego. Don't have an ego. Yeah, I mean, for someone starting out, I would say look around you like don't feel like you have to have like the best gear or be in the best place whatever that is wherever that is because you can make work anywhere and a lot of times like what is 
directly say in your backyard probably isn't being photographed and so there are pictures and there are stories everywhere but you also have to know that people won't necessarily care about that and I, I think have a lot of passions a lot of interests if you're going to school study something else that can help you as a photographer study something else like do something else like don't be afraid to do something else I work right now in a kitchen where I do dishes I prep and then I cook and that all kind of goes back into basically affording me the time to go out and do work that I want to do. So, yeah, I guess be creative in how you make a living and don't worry about it if you're not making a living through photography. And, yeah, I guess just kind of be honest with other people. There's a lot of people at front these days and, you know, it's marketing and whatnot, but that's not helpful to anybody. I think we all need to just sort of help each other out and just be honest and open and pursue interests. That's good. Good advice. I love that. Man, thanks so much for uh, taking the time. I really, uh, really yeah, appreciate no, it. Thank you. I mean, thanks for having me. And yeah, it's nice to sort of have someone interested in, you know, it gets pretty isolating up here in Littleton, New Hampshire. So thanks for reaching out. Yeah, no problem. I love what you're doing. You've been on my list for a while. So keep up the good work man you do really good stuff so cool, man. thank you and yeah thanks for doing this podcast like i tapped in and i think i was listening to like three different ones and it's like it's awesome because it's from a variety of people with you know it's cool to see kind of what other people are doing and basically yeah just kind of encapsulate this like larger conversation like i think it's really cool cool thanks yeah it's hard <laughs> i think uh so many people are only want to hear from people in their own exact <laughs> genre so I hope people will catch on, you know, that it's good to hear from everybody and not just let's only talk to wedding photographers yeah. or let's only talk to art people. Like, you know, it's good cool. to hear from everybody. Yeah, it keeps it fresh, I think. Yeah. All right, thanks so much for listening to this episode with John Tully. Make sure to check out his website. He's got a ton of amazing work on there. His website is johntullyphoto.com. Please follow him on Instagram at jtully. You'll see more recent work that he's doing on Instagram. Also, thanks to James Sweeting for mixing and editing this episode. And thanks to all of our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Musea. All right, see you in two weeks.